So we're carrying on our vision series. Last week, I believe, was powerful. Trevor was here. Uh, a lot of people were set free. Um, he's an amazing, amazing friend with us that has helped us build the church from the early days. And, uh, but I'm carrying on with the vision series. Who knows how long this is going to be? Um, I just feel like I need to lay in some stuff into the church, into the life of the church, into the, the, the fabric of who we are as a community. A lot of the stuff we live out already, but it's good to be reminded of it. Because uh, they said it takes up to 64 days or something, to 63 days to, to build a new habit. So when I've preached this 63 times, then you guys are going to maybe get it. Maybe I'll get it as well. But I'm talking on worship. Now, obviously it's such a broad topic because our whole lives are worship to the King. Our whole lives are bowing down to Him and saying, God, when we give, when we give uh, our lives over to Jesus, when we become a follower of Jesus, He becomes Lord and King of everything in our life. That is worship. But then there's also worship that we sing with our mouth, praise and worship. And I'm probably going to lean a little bit towards that and a little bit the other side in this, in this message today. We, God has given us as human beings the gift of music and of singing. What a privilege. Some people say, well, I'm from a conservative church. We only play the organ. I can tell you the organ is the only instrument that's not mentioned in the Bible. The rest is drums. There's kind of guitar instruments, but the organ wasn't mentioned. So sorry, that's, uh, yeah, that's already out there. Um, sorry, Johnny, I know you played it, but you're from an old school church. Yeah. No, you played these massive organs with feet thing and everything. Um, <laughs> God has given us music. And people say I'm conservative, but then if you watch them in the rugby game or the football game, they go crazy. Uh, I, I caught a video of some of the South Africans in our church. No one was supporting New Zealand that night, although New Zealand beat South Africa by two points, uh, which is still sad, kind of bringing that up again. But um, people, get, people get irate when it comes to sports. I've watched my, my brother-in-law who loves Man United. Who's a Man United fan? One. One. <laughs> Who's a Liverpool fan yeah? Clearly this. The first meeting was like mainly Liverpool. I don't support any football just because I think it'll isolate people for the gospel, you know? So, um, but if you, if you watch guys, when they're watching sports, all of a sudden this conservative person who kind of worships like this is just going, and maybe there's kind of other words coming up, but they're not conservative. So for me, conservative is... is it gets switched off when you find something you're passionate about. And I think we've, we've been sold the lie that when we walk in between to the doors of any form of church, we have to be solemn and, and quiet. And I'm so grateful that, we've, that we live in a time where there's just incredible music coming out of the church. We are blessed. Guys, honestly, I got saved in uh, 2000 and in the 90s, it was a struggle music-wise. It's like the, the world was like out there and then the church was still had this... And sorry about that, it just is what it is. Am I right, Nikki? It's got better. <laughs> and um, I remember getting saved, and we would sing these like strange songs, and then people would come up with sticks and do flag dances, and all of that stuff. It's like, ah, guys, like, it's, it's just, it became a weird subculture, but I feel like the music now, and I'm talking as a musician, has swung back where there's such good music coming out of the church. And if you look, you'll have like songs like uh, No Longer Slave has like 73 million views. 73 million views. Justin Bieber probably put about 20 million just by him tweeting that he's, that he's, followed, that he's listening to that song. So there's secular bands that don't get even 10% of that. Because it's showing something that the music is obviously current, but it's, it's speaking to our souls. With every move of God, there were, there were hymns written. 
this wrote them. There were hymns written. There were, there were things that happened where people, we by nature are singing people. We went to the Holy Land a couple of years ago, and we came out of um, where the Wailing Wall was, and we're walking, and then there's, uh, this kid was having like a, a bar mitzvah, and they were doing the dancing, and I was like, wow, that's, that's, that's Jewish dancing, in case you want to know, you know? It's... Um, they were, they were dancing, they were going for it, they were, they were full of joy, full of life. And you think, at any occasion we sing, there's something of an expression of our hearts. It, it puts feeling to music that we can't express with words. I love music. And God is, and I can tell you that there's, there's probably not one person in here that says, you know, I don't like music. It's very, very rare. A- Andy? <laughs> Andy's a teacher, so... He just reads the Psalms. He just doesn't sing them. <laughs> I'm kidding. Have you heard him sing, though? Andy. <laughs> the Bible exhorts us in Ephesians and in Colossians that says we must sing Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. I've always thought, how does that even work? Ryan, you're like the, the goat that comes down from Mount Gilead, and I sing this to you. I mean, it's just a weird concept, but I think what, what they're trying to get across is that have your hearts filled with joy and with song and, and exalting the king on every occasion. Let your, your speech, the Bible says, be seasoned with salt. Let it carry the life of God. And I can tell you that comes across in music and in singing. Psalm 100 verse 4 says this, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give Thanks to his name and praise, give thanks to him and praise his name. There's the, the courts of heaven that the Bible describes that we can't see, but it's, it's, it's somewhere. The Bible says that when we enter his courts with thanksgiving in our hearts, it's why we worship up front, up front. It's why we prioritize worship over coffee. So it's why we switch the lights off and say, please come inside, because there's 25, 30 minutes that we're going to give solely to Jesus. And we're going to exalt him. We're going to lift up the name of Jesus. We're going to see him come and break through. Because the Bible says that as we lift him up, Jesus says, says, I will draw all men unto me. I think it's in John 12. As we begin to lift him up, something shifts. Something shifts. Something happens. David's tent. They had 24 hours, 24-7 worship. David set this thing up where it's just... There was continual worship. There was the older guys training the younger guys, and then they were, they were bringing through musicians, and they were writing songs, and they were singing songs about where the community is at. We started to see some of that across the earth. We've had some of our most profound encounters as a church on worship nights, where we've just cleared the chairs, and I remember the one night, uh, I think some, some sheikh died in another country, and um, we were told by everyone, even some of our deacons saying, it's probably better that you shut this down. You know, it's a bit risky. And like, I went to the back with the worship team and I said, guys, this is what everyone's feeling. What are we going to do? And everyone's like, let's do it. <laughs> and uh, so we ended up worshiping, probably not at the volume that we wanted to, but something shifted over the atmosphere as we began to praise and worship the king. The Bible says that he is enthroned on the praises of his people, which means he builds his throne where there's the praises of God going up. And if you think there's so many things going up into the atmosphere at the moment, but when we begin to praise, it cuts through everything and it builds a throne so Jesus can come and rule and reign over a region and a place. I believe that we all carry the presence of God, but when we get together in a place like this, we, we create like an altar to heaven and we saying, God, we thank you, God, but week after week, we're going to worship and praise you here. That's why I believe land is important. Space is important. I love, I thought there was music, but it's someone cutting something. It's in the key of E. Um, and, uh, but there's, 
praise and worship does something. It, it, it's, and I, I really, I can't exhort us enough and, and, and encourage us enough to say, let's, the moment the worship starts, let's push in. Even if you can't hear what's going on, we're like, oh, where's the drums? They're coming. Oh, there they come. Uh, you're like, whatever, because you, you're not doing it whether the worship team is amazing, which they were today, or if they're having a, a really bad day, which I've had so many times in leading worship. We worship because God is worthy. We, 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 we give everything because God is worthy. And I'm pacing up and down. And I remember this morning when we started worship, I was like, I'm not feeling it. Not, again, not because of the band. Uh, but I was just like, God, I've got so many things on my mind. I've got this preach or whatever. And as I started to just kind of praise myself into praise, something shifted, something happened. And it often starts like that. Augustine says this. He says, Lord, you have formed us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until we find rest in you. Our hearts are restless until we find rest in Jesus Christ, him alone. And I can tell you, that is what worship's about. My most profound moments with God has been when I've been worshiping Him. I was 17 years old, sitting at the back on the sound desk. Not the most spiritual job in the world, eh, Rob? But the guys were going for it to worship, and I was sitting down. I had to control the sound desk. Didn't know what I was doing. Just made sure the electric guitar was loud. That's, that, was, that was the thing. And, uh, and, but the presence of God just hit me. In the place of worship, no one came and laid hands on me. The word hadn't been preached yet. And God filled me. And I, was, I, pr- I think I cried for about six hours that day. God did something sovereign, but in a place of worship. And I'm, I'm longing for moments like that. Every revival has been marked with just worship and people exalting God. So I've got a one-point sermon today. You guys are lucky. Exodus 34. Worship starts, if you're taking notes, worship starts with the revelation of who God is. Worship starts with the revelation of who God is. A few things there. God has to reveal himself to you. How has he revealed himself to us? In his word. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. It's an amazing thing that the Bible even calls it the foolishness of preaching is, what the, is the thing that changes hearts. So I want to say that as I read the word of God today, let it sink into your heart. Receive it by faith. Throw out the stuff that you know is that, that's not of God and, and receive what God has for you this morning because it's going to bring fruit into your life and fruit of worship. A.W. Tozer says, What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I said this a few weeks ago. What comes into your mind? Is God big, strong, but distant from me? Is God a father? Is God vengeful? I, I don't know what background you've come from, what your worldview is sitting at. But I want to teach you today one of the first places that God truly reveals who he is. Now, God had revealed himself in Genesis to Abraham in certain ways. And he had revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. And he had really proclaimed his name in front of, in front of Moses. But at, when Moses begins to understand the attributes of who God is, that is the point that he worships. This is the first recorded time you'll see in Scripture that Moses bows down and worships God. This is the time when he's like, God, I've seen you, but now I know you. And I'm praying that that happens to us today. That whatever your journey in God is, that you, that you may have seen him from a distance, or maybe you've experienced him at times, but you're actually going to see him come close to your heart and let him kind of rip you open. And we'll have a little bit of worship at the end. That's cool. So Exodus 34, a bit of context. Quickly, fast forward button. 
Moses goes up the mountain. God says, I'm going to give you the Ten Commandments. He goes to the mountain. God writes with his own finger, the finger of God that comes down. Moses comes down the mountain. Because he had been there, well, not even for that long, the people had grown impatient. They had taken all the, the gold and the necklaces of everyone and all the gold that they had, and they would melted it together and made a golden calf that they began to bow down and worship. Moses became angry, smashed the tablets. God's like, I spent a lot of time on that, but anyway, he broke them. Um, and then, then, God, then, God, then Moses starts to have this discourse with the Father, and he just says, God, these are stiff-necked people. Uh, they, and God says, God is even saying, listen, I'm going to actually wipe basically this. God, God could have wiped out the Israelite people, but Moses pleads with God and says, God, but you said. That's how we pray. We say, God, you said this. And I believe there's, there's obviously lots of theological debates around this, this thing. Does God change his mind, etc.? I, I mean, I don't believe he don't. That's where, I, that's where I stand. I believe God wanted to see what is in Moses' heart. That Moses, God wanted to see if Moses is going to begin to cry to him and, and, and intercede for this nation. And it comes to this culmination of in, in, um, in Exodus 33, and it says, God, would you send your presence with us? We will not go with your, without your presence. God is like, I'm pleased with that. And then Moses cries out, now show me your glory. What an incredible thing. Can I say that we don't passively receive, we, we, we receive by faith, of course, not through works. We don't have to do anything else other than believe in Jesus to be saved. That is it. But in pursuing God and pursuing His heart, we have to. There's a step, stepping forward is that we draw close to Him as He draws close to us. There's something that we step forward in, knowing that we we can enter boldly into His presence, and we begin to ask. I ask for months, God, would you would you visit me with Your presence? I'm feeling dry. Five months later, six months later, a year later, doing things by faith. God, I need Your presence. Crying out fast, pray. And I know it's not about works, but Something worked. And, um, and, uh, and I've shared this before, but we arrived at a conference in April, and I was sitting in the corner of the Royal Albert Hall, and God's presence just came upon me like a flood, just wept. People around me, and I was like, and I ugly cry. I like, I'm not one of those guys who can talk and cry at the same time. For Ryan, it's just called crying. It's just, uh, <laughs> sorry, you guys wouldn't have got that anyway. I'm saying Ryan's ugly, but he's not. It's a joke, okay. Um, you have Moses, and he cries out to God's presence. And then I want to read from Exodus 34, verse 4. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. Lord, he said, if I find favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Even Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Amazing, amazing scripture. Then the Lord said, I'm making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never, done in, uh, never, never before done in any nation of the world. The people 
uh, you live among will see how awesome, struggling here, is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey what I command you today. I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you are going, or they will, sn- or they will be a snare among you. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and cut their Asherah poles. Do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. I may not get time to get into this later, but it's, I love that God is a jealous God. I love that He wants my total affection. And what God is saying is, is there's no space for anything else in the worship of me. You cannot have any other gods or things that you've put before me in, in, in my worship. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land, for they will prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them. They will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. And when you choose some of their daughters as your wives for your, and for your sons and their daughters will prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. God says these things because he does not, he can see the end. What happened, there's a, there's a scripture that speaks about, it says you'll become like the idols you worship. And we live in a world that doesn't have, maybe have like, maybe in the east or in, in, in parts of India, there's like actual idols that people worship. But we worship other idols. And we can end up becoming the thing that we are worshiping, whether it's money, sexuality, whatever it is, we become the thing that we begin to worship and place before God. And what I'm praying for today is that our hearts would get a revelation of who he is. Verse 6, it says, And he passed in front of Moses, saying, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love. The Lord, Yahweh, the King. And Yahweh is a transliterated word of YHWH, which is not even a pronounced word in the Jewish Bible. It's, uh, and we, uh, through, through the, the ages, it's become Adonai, it's become Lord. We, we worship God as this king who is in control, who is king of kings and lord of lords. It says, the compassionate and gracious God. That is in stark contrast to the gods of the day. Small g. They would require child sacrifice. They'd require you to sacrifice. There would be these gods that are like that are always fighting where God comes along and says that I am compassionate and gracious. And it's a Hebrew word, rahum wehanun. Okay, let's say it together. Rahum wehanun, which is probably the worst pronunciation of that thing. But it's word pairing in Hebrew, and you'll see this a lot throughout the scripture, is that it's merciful and compassionate. And that word comes from the word from a female womb, which basically is implying that the, womb, the, the, the sense that women feel towards their children that they give birth to is what God feels towards us. A sense of protection, ownership. This is mine. These are my children. And it says in Hanun is to show grace. So you have this feeling word, and then you have this, help, this, this action word. Again, if we look in the New Testament, Jesus says, if, if I do not leave, I cannot send the parakletos, the helper, the one who's going to stand alongside you. He's the one that can actually do things. So I think when we understand who God is, is that He's not only just loving from a distance, but He actually comes and He dwells with us. Jesus came and dwelt with us. Think about how God has been gracious to you. Secret stuff. Maybe some pride in your heart. Maybe you think, I'm good. No, that's called pride. It's the same thing as any other sin. How God has been gracious to you. And that's why for me there's no space for 
judgy, for being pharisaical, which means you look down upon others that their sin is worse than yours because you've already committed a sin doing that. We have to realize that God is compassionate and He's gracious to all. It says that He is slow to anger. That literally means long of nostrils. I was going to pick on someone. I don't, there's not really anyone here with long nostrils, but I've got a short nose, okay? And uh, I don't know how this happened, whether it was through rugby, water polo. Um, I, I got hit in the face with a cricket bat when I was in like 10 or 11 years old, split my lip, cracked my nose, broke everything. The, the point of the story is my, my, my nose was stunted. So everything else is perfectly proportioned. But then the nose is just like, what is that? Oh, it's a nose. Okay. And um, I, I got an operation a few years ago. And because I basically that happened as a young kid and kind of into my growing years as a teenager, I broke it a few times. The, the SA water polo captain came and threw a ball and I went up to save it and it broke my nose uh, again. So I kind of grew like that, and I, I couldn't breathe through my nose. Even now, Starla's like, do you ever breathe through your nose? I'm like, I can't, really. It's got a bit better, but I'm like, you know. <laughs> Often I wake up, and Starla's just like a... <laughs> but then she sometimes blocks my nose and my mouth, so I'd wake up. It's, it's called suffocation. Um, but you have... Anyway, so long story is this. It says, the, the literal translation, is that why, that's why I believe that we cannot have literal translations of the word. Because this meant something to those people in that time, which is that they are long of nostrils. Which means this, you know when you're angry, you go, you breathe in and you hold your anger back. God says that he has long nostrils and he's able to hold his anger back. Now, here's the thing, God does get angry. We've seen Jesus get, got angry in the temple, but it took a lot for God to get angry. That's amazing. He's not vengeful. He's not, he's not sitting there in heaven. He's going, I'm waiting, Andy. You're going you're gonna to mess up soon, and then I'm just going to come and smash you. He's like, through the, through the grace of Jesus, he looks upon us, and he sees his son. And that is all dealt with under the cross, which is amazing. But here it means long of nostrils. He's able to, he's patient. He holds his temper. He's, compare that to people you know, even your, your boss or people you work with. You're like, this, God is the opposite of those who you work with. God is the opposite of how you interact in the world. God is the opposite of other gods, small g, in this world. He is patient. It says that He is abounding in love and faithfulness. And that literally means that it's He's spilling over. It's, it's one of the attributes of God that you see throughout, I think it's 126 times throughout the Bible. And when the Bible says saying once, you better believe it. When it says 126 times about who God is, is that He's abounding in love and faithfulness. You have to realize that is who God is. Bill Johnson says that Jesus is perfect theology. We look at Jesus. If you want to know how, who God is, how He acts, and how He interacts with people, it's Jesus Christ. He's long-suffering. He, he gave up His life for us. He's... He's sacrificial. He loves people. He hangs out. Jesus is a picture of who God is. He is God. How much in society are people not abounding in love and faithfulness? So faithfulness is, if you look at it, again, it's paired words that are, are put in the Hebrew language. But it's one, it's, it's meant to, exp- the one is meant to explain the other one. It, but it literally means this. God's love is his faithfulness. His faithfulness is his love. Amazing. It goes together. Because I can say that I love someone, but I can only show that I love them through my faithfulness to them. I, I, say, I love Starla, 
And I'm faithful to it. It's, it's an action. It's who God is. Because it doesn't just come out of his mouth. I love you. I'm faithful to you as one. And it holds those two things together. It's an incredible. If you look at how the Bible is written, it's just amazing. It's like, it's like God wrote it himself, you know? Um, it shows our, his loyalty to us as a, as a people. People, when things get tough, marriages get tough, people bail out. When jobs get tough, people bail out. When, when situations get tough, people, people go to extreme circumstances to bail out. God will never bail out of a circumstance. He will see it through to the end. I, the only thing for me that stops it is, I, I believe, is that when we reject God and we reject His grace. It's like, but even then, God will still pursue you. But we still do have free will before, God, before the Father. Verse 7 says, maintaining love to thousands. Maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. There's a doctrine in, in Christianity. It's called the total depravity of man. It's basically this, that we are messed up without Jesus Christ. And it covers all three things. It says that he's forgiven to the thousands, which means it's not just for one group of people and a select crew that have been pulled out of nothing and you, you and I have got God's love all over you. It's, it's actually God saying it's for everyone. And that it extends to thousands. Forgiving wickedness. It's not just, oh, I've forgiven you now, but I'm gonna, I might forgive you in the next time. No, God keeps on forgiving. It's, it's part of, I love, this, is the, this is God revealing who He is. It's, it's a revelation of His nature, that He's forgiving wickedness. I've got some Hebrew words here, you're going to get excited. Avon, which is every kind of bad behavior, just in case you think, you know, I'm not that bad. Rebellion, which is the Hebrew word pesha, which means to break the law. And sin, which means to miss the mark. So that's like in areas where you're trying your best, but actually you still miss the mark because we'll never hit the mark. Only Jesus hit the mark. Only Jesus was perfectly sinless. Only Jesus did a per- lived a perfect life before the Father. And that is the amazing news about the gospel, that we don't have to try and do stuff. We need to believe in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins, who took every sin, every rebellion, Avon, Pesha, and Hatsa, and he put it on himself, and he says, if you just believe in me, you get my righteousness in place. That's an, we, that, we, I'm so grateful that I live this side of the cross and what he's done for us. He forgives, but he keeps on forgiving. A commentator says that God forgives e- e- eagerly. It's a manifestation of his character. Let's just shift our view of who God is. He's, he wants to forgive you. He wants you to bring stuff to the light. He wants you to open your hand and say, God, I cannot do this without you. And that is the incredible thing about the gospel. The counterpoint is this. So, my, so if you think how powerful that is on a scale, that's just like the Bible says that his mercy outweighs his judgment. Sorry, mercy, mercy triumphs over judgment. Is that it, it says this. Let me read it to you. It says, Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents in their third and fourth generation. So there's a lot in there. I'm going to give a f- quick little thing. Um, first of all, it's showing that God is a just God. Amos says, let justice roll like a river. That, that, uh, that we know that one day that the justice of God is not going to let uh, an unrepentant person who's raped 500 people just because, because that's what universalists believe. They believe, ah, just because, you know, the blood of Jesus, whatever. That, that, that's that's the opposite of the gospel. And he's not going to let that person sit in heaven with the person who's been raped. 
there's a justice that comes upon people. There's the justice of God. Obviously, if you give your life to Jesus, his justice, he stands in the way. And, uh, sorry, I don't want to get lost here. We're all born broken. There's Romans 3.23 says that we have, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I love what John Mark Comer says. I was reading his book, a commentary on this. He says, the hope of the gospel isn't the Holocaust survivors will stand next to Hitler for eternity. Or that a victim of domestic abuse will live forever with her husband. The hope that there will be no Hitlers, no women thrown across the room in anger, no slave traders, no genocidal maniacs. Nothing and nobody who is openly hostile to the way of Jesus because God will put an end to evil once and for all. The judge will finally judge. That's the hope we have. And we want justice. We crave it. We ache for it. It's deep in our bones. The justice of God. And I think we have to live that intention that God is so gracious, kind, abounding in love. It's spilling over. But there is the reality of the justice of God. And the amazing thing is this, is that if you're sitting here today and you haven't given your life to Jesus, the Bible says that the wrath of God is basically on you. I'm just preaching Romans 1, okay? It's not funny, bro. <laughs> that, that, there's, but if you come under Jesus Christ, God says that his wrath turns to favor. It's called propitiation. It's the gospel. It's, that, is, that it was, that there is almost like... God had to turn his face from him because he's a holy God, but then Jesus comes and stands in your place. You, you, you accept salvation by faith. And not because you're born into a Christian family. That doesn't matter. Not because you've lived a good life. It's because you have faith in Jesus Christ. If you stand in heaven one day, and you're standing before our king, the only thing he's going to ask you is, like, did you have my son? And yes, that's the only thing that gets you through. Not good works, not adding to the gospel, not thinking that you have to do a whole bunch of things, follow a bunch of regulations, say his name properly, etc., etc., etc. That's all adding to the gospel. The gospel is, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Yes, you can come through. Then Moses bowed down, verse 8, to the ground at once in worship. Lord, he said, if I find favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. At every revival, there's a revival in the Hebrides and uh, they, they, the presence of God just hit this island and people were literally running to the church and repenting of their sins. Every time we see and we face the magnificence and the glory of who God is, there's the only response we have is, Jesus, I'm bowing down my face towards you. And that's what worship is. That's why we don't just, like, I don't raise my hands because, oh, it's a fun thing to do, or that's what charismatics do, etc., etc. We do it because my heart is, Jesus, I'll do anything in this physical body because I love you with everything in my heart. So we have one word for praise in the English language, and I'm almost done. But yet in the Hebrew, there's seven. It's yada, which means to worship with extended hands. There's tehila, which means to sing in worship. And there's zamar, which means to pr- sing with, uh, so, to praise with, in- with stringed instruments. That's why electric guitar is heavenly. Uh, Toda means to shout. And also to praise for things that you haven't seen come into your life yet. How amazing is that? You begin to praise God for the breakthrough that is coming. I think immediately of the slave trade in the 1700s. Some of the most profound songs were written out of that time, and they were singing of a freedom that eventually came. It took 100 years or whatever it was. 
but they started to sing about something that they wanted to see. And I want to see God's rule and reign on earth. That's why we sing, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. I don't see it yet fully, but I see it in parts. And I'm going to keep singing it. I'm going to keep praising it. I'm going to keep worshiping until we see the thing come about. And then the final one is halal, which is not the meat. It means to brag about, to make a show, and it even leans on the side of being ridiculous. And I grew up, got saved into a semi-charismatic church. It wasn't with seatbelts, but maybe kind of charism- almost with seatbelts. Um, but we had a few wild moments, and I'm longing for that here. If I'm honest, as a pastor, I want to not fake, because I don't want to like, it's like, I'm not going to force you to do anything. I want to, I want to see us be so overwhelmed about who God is that we begin to just be so, the Bible, it's um, one of the translations says that we become clamorously foolish. David comes up and he's, um, he's bringing back the ark and he's going to become king. And Michal, his first wife, says, you, you were so undignified. I can't believe you danced like that because he basically stripped down to his underpants and he ran up and he was dancing and he's doing his thing. And um, yeah, exactly, Jewish dancing. And, um, and he, he ran up, and then his, his wife kind of rebuked him, and he says, I will become even more undignified than this. That is the heart that's, that, that God is looking for. It's like, I don't care what other people are saying, thinking, or doing. I'm going to worship God with everything in my heart. So what prevents worship, very quickly, shame is the first one, I believe. We believe that we're not good enough to approach the throne room of God. What do we do? We confess, we repent confess of our sins, and we repent before the Father, He comes, brings peace. We can enter, I love this in Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, boldly, that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in the time of need. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8 says. We could be self-conscious, that prevents, that's fear of man. We could be distracted with a whole bunch of stuff that we need to do after church, answering emails on your phone, etc., etc. I want to. I said this in the first meeting. I want it to be a no phone zone, and I know reality of like some people may need to get texts from people. Everyone with phone in their hands are like, Ooh, what do I do now? But uh, put on flight mode. Let's let's have 25, 30 minutes of the whole service will be ideal. Like don't switch it on when I start preaching because that's not also ideal. But where we actually focus on Jesus, relationships. Sometimes we need to forgive people. We need to totally forgive people for what they've done towards us. I think a big one in Dubai is that we are self-sufficient. We don't need God. We've got a good retirement plan, we're earning a good salary, got two cars, a dog, two kids. I'm not dependent on anything. That is a lie. People think that oh, those who follow Jesus, they need Jesus. Oh, shame. Poor, poor Christians. They need, a, they need help. I'm like, yes, we do. You don't know how far you are from God if that is your thinking of who you think God is. He is requiring everything. The Bible says that He's a jealous God. And, uh, and I, I want to I live my life in worship to Him, in adoration, in, in whatever, whatever comes my way. I want to worship Him in the good times because He's good. I want to worship Him in the bad times that you're going to go through something because we know that, that, that He is good, that He may be walking you through something. And suffering is not a bad thing because actually suffering produces anointing. Suffering produces good things in your life. If you're going through a tough moment this, this morning, can I, we're going to worship now. Can the worship team please come up? If you're going through a tough moment this morning, worship like Toda. Okay, so we worship 
like there's breakthrough coming. We worship for something that we, that we want to see. If it's, a, if it's a spouse that doesn't know Jesus, if it's, if it's if you, someone that needs to get saved, whatever it is, if you're going through a tough time financially, worship Jesus because He is always worthy, not dependent on our circumstances. Can we all stand to our feet?